tilted his head, his eyes scanning the endless blue in search of the bundle of noise. The distinct lack of a visual reference point made its location a challenge. He shaded his eyes with a gloved hand, stared into the distance and then back again. Suddenly out of nothing appeared the small brown bird, bobbing up and down as if elevated by the energy of its song. His eyes followed the moving bird as the sound filled his head, giving the penultimate clue to his location. Slowly he let his eyes drift earthward, leaving the bird to its morning reveille. Here then was the last clue, the row upon row of white Portland stones, meticulously maintained in soldier rows, the large sword-emblazoned cross a protecting arm over the fallen stood semi-silhouetted against the morning blue. A stronger breeze grew from nowhere to make the corn whisper as if in protest at the intrusion, and a strange malevolent tingle ran to the nape of his neck. Words grew in his head as his eyes drifted skyward again. In Flanders' fields the poppies blow, between the crosses row on row that mark our place, and in the sky... The larks still bravely singing fly. He knew it by heart. He knew that it had been written after the funeral of Alexis Helmer by his friend, a Canadian physician, ninety-eight years ago, and that the poet had discarded it, dissatisfied with his work, frustrated, no doubt, by the senselessness and futility of this grim and hopeless place. The Canadian was probably disheartened by the endless surgical hours toil to save a few of England's finest, the frustration of knowing that infections would kill as many as the bullets and the bombs. Lawrence took out a small tissue, removed his glasses and cleaned the lenses. He misted each lens with his warm breath before rubbing the glass clean. Holding up the tissue in the growing breeze, he watched it flutter as if he were giving it life, and then he released it to drift away. It moved freely, butterfly-like, over the road, and then tumbled a short distance before being held fast by an ear of corn, gently flapping in protest at a journey cut too short. The growing noise of a tractor engine drowned the sound of the lark. He turned to look, angered by the distraction and intrusion. Why are tractors so large these days? he said out loud. The ground shook gently as the green leviathan, its complicated and unidentifiable attachment erect and tail-like, passed. The driver gave a cheery wave. Once its rumble had ceased, his eyes scanned for the paper, but it had gone, swallowed like young men in Ypres mud. Lost. Strangely, the lark, too, had given up on the day. He moved away from the post, and his gloved hand lifted the metal cylinder of corroded metal. He wrapped it with care and patience in a cut piece of car inner tube before placing it in a rucksack. It was one of the 1.45 billion shells fired during the senseless battles that had raged, harvesting the blood of youth. This corroded relic was no souvenir. He knew just what it contained. He had rejected two other shell relics, dredged up by the farmers and 
left for collection by the Belgian Army's Ordnance Disposal Company. First World War munitions were still killing as they were brought to the surface by ploughs. His harvest was very specific. He collected a poppy from the edge of the field and placed it alongside the shell he had chosen, before swinging the sack over his shoulder. He looked in the direction of the tractor, but it too had gone. Alone again, he moved away, happy that he had secured another quantity of Eperite. Chapter 2 The cloth hall at the centre of Ypres made a perfect backdrop. Lawrence Young sat with his back to it as he viewed the square. Parked cars seemed to fill the place, and around part of its periphery were squeezed rows of cafes. He sipped a beer, his rucksack.